So uh, we are uh, on our, our la- the very last episode, if you like, of our, our traveling with the uh, children of Israel, the Israelites in the Old Testament, on their journey from uh, Mount Sinai, where they met with God and he gave them the law and explained how he was going to live with them and gave them instructions about how to build a mobile temple for him that was a kind of symbol of his presence. That great up that they had to a great crashing down afterwards, uh, which kind of continued till they got to the promised land. And then a few months later, they decided, you know, actually, we won't go there. Thank you very much. And they turned their backs on God. And uh, that was it for a whole generation. And now it's 40 years later. The generation who did that, who rebelled and turned their back on God, uh, said, no, we're not going to go into that promised land. We'd rather go back to Egypt. Thanks. Um, They've all died apart from two. Uh, That's Joshua and Caleb. Remember, the two of the spies who, who believed that they should go, that God would be with them. So 40 years later, there's another chance, and they're right on the edge of going into this promised land. And last week we heard about another of those spy stories, very exciting story, but this time how different it was. The spies were sent to Jericho, and they could see, as they met Rahab, they see that God is already there ahead of them. They see that, and that God is doing these amazing and surprising things ahead of them. And uh, even wanting people in Jericho, like Rahab and her family, to come to know him. And uh, that's uh, a very kind of encouraging step for them. But now the time has come for them all to start that uh, journey into this land that God had promised. Now, you know, have you ever been at an airport waiting for a really big departure? You know, you're going to go through and maybe, you know, you're saying goodbye to somebody and it's a big journey ahead. And you've got that feeling, you, you, you know, you've got to go through, to, through um, into departures and... You're kind of a bit reluctant, aren't you? I remember the, I only flew for the first time 33 years ago. When I was sorry, when I was 33, uh, a little less than 33 years ago. Uh, that was uh, let me get that quite. So that would have been 20 something years ago, <laughs> 25 years ago. Um, yeah, so I remember that very well that time. And you kind of want to hold back. Or think of those troops. We've heard lots of stories of the guys on the landing craft as you know, they saw the, the Normandy coast. They wonder what they were thinking. Ooh, what's going to happen? Imagine that we are those Israelites then. Forty years have gone by. Maybe they would have had something of that feeling you get at the airport sometimes. Or the guys in the Normandy landing crafts might have had on D-Day. All we've had... Uh, for 40 years have been these stories of what God has done. You know, stories from Moses and uh, stories about God's faithfulness in the past and his amazing rescue. That's what we would be, that's all we've known. But actually for 40 years, we've been kind of wandering around really. We've just been traveling the desert since then. Uh, And we've kind of inherited this legacy from our parents, this most awful of baggage in a way. This, this baggage of a, a generation who, who saw nothing more of God's working in 40 years. Just got used to going nowhere. And all we've ever known has been that. And now we're told by Joshua and the, the people as we're reading, them, the, the officers, the leaders. Now we're told it's now. We're moving into this promised land. 
you know, it's come up on the screen, on the departure screen, flight so-and-so, go to departure lounge. It's now. How do you be feeling? Put yourself there for a minute. Well, let's see what happened. It's in Joshua chapter 3, and we, we find it on page uh, 217 uh, of the Bibles nearby if you want to follow it. Let's see what, what happens on that, that big day. Kind of like D-Day, I suppose, in some ways. And it involves water, so there we are. But no landing craft, as we shall see. Early in the morning, chapter 3, verse 1, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, You are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. And Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites. The, we won't go all through them. They're the people that lived in them. Verse 11. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand in a heap. So there you are then. Imagine you're there on that morning. Must have been a challenging time for them. Look at verse 4. Great phrase there. You have never been this way before, say they, the leaders tell the people. You've never been this way before. Isn't it great that they're open about that? You know, they're really honest about this is something completely new for you. This is scary. This is, this is new. And you know, the Lord is aware that that's how you feel. The Lord is perfectly aware and completely knowing that you've not been this way before. This is new. And in all of these unknowns, they're given some things that they can know. We may be facing unknowns ourselves. In fact, we certainly will be. If not today, if not tomorrow, at some point, we're not too long. We'll be in that place. You've never been this way before. What can we really know? Nothing wrong with being open about how scary it can be not to have been this way before. Sometimes I think as Christians, we think we've all got to be, you know, everything's marvelous all the time and no one's ever scared of anything. It's not true. God knows that. The Bible never pretends that it won't be. So do we need just to get that as we move towards new things, as we kind of move forward as a church community? I'm thinking, you know, about this new building that we pray will be open soon. How we're going to use it, how the church might grow in the future, as you can read in building blocks. Not been this way before. 
What can we know? Or what about our personal lives? Not being this way before can apply to many things, can't it? Being alone. Having a baby. Or not having a baby. Having a new job or losing a job. Getting retired, being sick or facing sickness in others' lives. We often face unknowns. Times where we've never been this way before. And at those times, we need to get hold of what we can know. And Joshua uh, and this passage bring three things in particular that we can know. Look at verse 4 again. You will know which way to go. That's the first thing. You will know which way to go. What a great reassurance. The Lord knows you don't know which way you're going. The Lord knows that this is an unknown route for you. And you know he promises to lead you. He promises to go ahead of you. And and, and that great reassurance, where does it come from for them? Well, for them... It's this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. This was a, a basically, uh, uh, well, it's more than that. Let's get the whole phrase. It's the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. That's the point. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. That is a rich phrase. The covenant was a box that had stuff in it. It was very beautifully decorated and so on. And it was a kind of symbolic kind of uh, reminder of God's presence with them. But it's not about the box being there. The, nothing special about the box puts Steven Spielberg out of your mind completely if you've gone there. Now, you, now I've mentioned it, you probably have, so that wasn't very helpful. Anyway, put that out of your mind. The, the, it's not the box itself. This was the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord their God. That it was, it was a, a reminder of the relationship that they had with the Lord. Actually, it was a a reminder of the covenant of the Lord your God. And the covenant was about God's commitment to them. He'd rescued them. They were in a relationship with him, him, rather. He'd made a commitment to them. For them, there was a box to follow, but the box wasn't the point. It was the Lord's commitment to them. And we can be led by the Lord. We can know uh, which way to go because the Lord has committed himself to us in Jesus Christ. When we have communion, what do we say? What did Jesus tell us to say when we gave thanks for the cup? This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood that is shed for you. God is committed in relationship, in love, in the blood of his son, in everything he is and says. He's committed in love to us, his people, to us who believe. He will lead us. And more than that, it says here, he will do amazing, look at the end of verse 5, the Lord will do amazing things, they're told. They're told he can intervene. He does things. He can do amazing things and does do amazing things. And they have to respond to the fact of who he is and what he does by consecrating themselves and and actually keeping a distance from the box. What's that all about? Well, it means that they're to realize that this Lord who's committed himself to them is holy. And they're to respect his holiness. And we need to remember that, don't we? Not only that he's committed to leaders, not only that that he's committed in, in relational love, but we need to remember that he's the holy God. So we don't want to mess with him. 
It's interesting. God doing amazing things seems to go together with God's people having tender consciences about sin. See that? God doing amazing things and his people having tender consciences about what's wrong in our lives seem to go together. You see it in the Bible. You see it in history. You particularly see it in revivals, actually. You see that before God does amazing things in different places in the world in revivals, there's a a new sense of God's holiness and the need to get stuff in our lives that are wrong, put right. These things go together. So as we move forward, whether it's in our personal circumstances or I'm thinking particularly for us as a church community, We've not been this way before. We can rejoice that he enables us to know which way to go. And let's remember that he's the holy God who does amazing things. So we don't make excuses to ourselves for things in our lives that we know are wrong. We put them right with his help. We say no to what we know compromises his great holiness. So that's the first thing they can know. They can know which way to go. And so will we as we go into unknown kind of places. Second thing, there's something else they can know. It's in verse 7. Look at verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, second half of the verse, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. What do they know? They know that God doesn't change. Now Moses is dead. Ian reminded of that very graphically the other day. Ian started, Moses was dead. And uh, that was a very big deal for the Israelites. He'd been the one who led them for 40 years and more. He'd been the leader when they were born. He'd been the one who led them out of Egypt. They hadn't known anything else apart from Moses. And the things that they'd heard God had done through Moses and with Moses. And the Lord tells Joshua that he wants the people to know that he is still with them. The program is still on. There's been a 40 years pause, but it's back on. He's the same God now as he was when he brought them out of Egypt. Nothing has changed as far as he is concerned. And Joshua is told that they're going to go into the promised land just like they left Egypt. How did they leave Egypt? Through water, through the Red Sea being miraculously parted. And now they're going to go through a river uh, in full flood at harvest time, which is the flood time, at a really, really wide spot. You know, there were, if you you read the scholars, there were different places where you could cross the river at Jordan at full flood. But, you know, God had taken from them a place where, you know, only, only a complete idiot would try and cross the river Jordan at that particular place at that time of the year. But there they were. That's what God was going to do. Why? So they know that God is the same. He can do for Joshua and for these people just what he did for Moses and their parents. Still on. He's no different. He's as faithful and trustworthy as he always was. And as we move forward into places where we've not been before, let's realize that the Lord hasn't changed. You know, his power doesn't go down like most smartphone batteries, you know, in what, a day about, you can get a day out of it perhaps. That's not how God, there's not some kind of automatic decay of his power as time goes by. 
He is committed to he is committed to working today as he was in the past. He promised the disciples that Jesus promised his disciples he would be with them to the end of the age. There was no time kind of shut down on that. Do you remember when he prayed in John 17 before he went to the cross we've got his prayer recorded. Do you remember he prayed for the disciples, he reviewed his ministry on earth. And do you remember what he prayed not just for the disciples but for all those who would believe in his name through them, through those disciples. So everyone, every time someone reads the Gospels or someone understands the good news about Jesus, about what he's done, about how we can know God, and, and trusts ourselves to Jesus, every time someone believes, they join that group of people that Jesus was praying for then. No, stop. Carries on. And that includes... If you're one of those people, you and me. So we could apply this then. God is uh, uh, as faithful in the present as he has been in the past. We may think about what um, the ministry of Portsmouth Church might look like once the building is open. That's going to be the front line for those of us who are involved in the projects here in different ways. Or you could think about your front line, that place where you're serving the Lord, in your neighborhood, in your business, in, in your work, in, in you know, wherever you are, wherever God's put you to, to shine for him. Wherever that is, he is with us as he was with the first disciples. He's there as he was then. As he is in, when we read of great revivals and other events in history, same God, capable of doing the same things. No change in him. He can do amazing things. And it, when it, in the midst of uncertainty, it's good to grab this truth that we can know that God doesn't change. And hold on to that with all the unknowns as we move forward. And there's a third thing that they can know. Verse 9 to 10. How is everyone? Everyone all right? Anyone feeling a bit hot? Because we could open windows or I think we, we could open the door. Well, is everyone okay? Just there. I'm just conscious that the, ra- are the radiators coming on Mike, by any chance. Oh, no, they're not. Okay. I, I thought... So just the baptist oh it's okay it's only me because the baptistry is being heated under my feet so <laughs> if you see steam rising it's uh, honestly it's coming from there nowhere else so. okay <laughs> sorry shouldn't have gone there right now the third thing what else will you know you will know in the verse 9 to 10 what does it say in verse 9 to 10 Come here and listen to the words of the Lord Joshua says to the Israelites this is how you will know third thing you will know that the living God is among you. Whoa. The living God is among you. He is the living God. He will do something. He's going to actually touch the river and it will be dry. Verse 11. Look at what verse 11 says. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. And then verse, the, 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 yeah, um, sorry, I've got the wrong verse. Anyway, there is a, a, a verse in the passage, check it out, and where it actually says the Lord will go into the water ahead of you. Not just the ark, but the Lord himself will do that. The Lord is among you. He will wade into it ahead of you. 
Just as he did with the Red Sea, he will intervene, something will happen. Now, is, is this a promise for us? You might be thinking, yeah, but this is the Israelites. They're about to cross the Jordan, you know. Sure, God, God's going to be among them in a very special way. And that's quite true. You might be thinking about my hermeneutics here and thinking, well, is that the right way to interpret that passage? Well, it is primarily about the Israelites, and it is primarily about their salvation, their rescue. But God is among you. As it happens, is what uh, St. Paul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, expects visitors who come to the Corinthian congregation to say while they're there. They're supposed to come in and see Christians worshipping and being together and actually say, as unbelievers, woo, the Lord is among you. So it's the, the promise is not just for kind of spectacular events when, when, you know, rivers part and so on. Because let's face it, sometimes, you know, the rivers don't part and sometimes the Lord walks through us through tough times. No one's saying that there won't be any. On this occasion, he was going to do an amazing thing and help them to walk through on dry land. But the thing is, he's promising to be among them. The living God is among us. As we go into places where we've not been before, let's know this. He's the living God. He can act. He will act. He does things. Sometimes, as we heard last week, surprising things. Sometimes not the things we necessarily really want him to. Other times they are. Always, eventually, we see that actually what he wanted was good for us. He works good in the most dreadful things. And that's why prayer is important. Every time we really honestly pray, even if it's just, Lord, I just don't know, know, a, a true cry of prayer from the heart in perplexity is saying this I believe you're among us and I believe you can do something I'm asking you Lord please do something in this situation and when will they know that the living God is among them when the priests step into the flooded river scary moment that's why we had the illustration We've seen flooded rivers recently, haven't we? Uh, somebody I knew, um, her, her father, a few years ago, um, was driving around at Christmas time delivering um, diaries to... He was a, a guy in, in uh, business, and he was driving around giving people calendars, and, and he was in Dorset, and he, he came to the, the river that was always... He always crossed in the ford in his car, and it was flooded... And he thought, and probably the car was all right, but he didn't take account of the thing. And tragically, he was drowned. Flooded river. Scary place. Imagine the Jordan in full flood. It's only as they walk into the water, like these guys getting on the bridge, that they knew it was going to be all right. They had to take a step, literally, of faith. And as they do that, they know for sure... That the Lord who's rescued them and the Lord who knows them, the Lord who's promised to be among them and do amazing things, is, it says here, the Lord of all the earth. That's a really significant phrase at this point. You know why? We see the big deal about Canaan at the time was uh, all the people in Canaan, it was believed, was kind of held in the power of regional gods. Now, these regional gods caused Israel huge amounts of trouble right through their history. 
Uh, and, and, and these gods were the ones that were held to control Canaan. And so as God's people are going to walk into that, what, what's he saying? They're saying, this is the Lord of all the earth. He's not going to be held back by the local powers. That's a very big message as they go through. Now there are times, aren't there, in our lives when we just have to walk into that flooded river, trusting that the Lord will do the rest. Knowing what God has promised, trusting him that he will do it. But not knowing it for absolute certain until we're in that place. Becoming a Christian can be like that. Some of you may remember. Do you remember that? That, that kind of turmoil you go through. I, I mean, I can remember it, even though I was, I was about 11 and a half, 12 at the time, at a camp, thinking, am I going to do this or not? I know, you know and, then, and then saying, yeah, I'm going to give my life to God, to Jesus. Maybe some of you are here like that. You, know, you want to be absolutely sure. Well, you know, but it's only as you trust him, as you pray the prayer, make, and not just to say the words, to make that commitment, give your life to Jesus. It's only at that point that you know it'll hold you up. It's true. You won't know for sure in one sense till you take that step. And we can think about it in other areas of our lives as well. Could be in being obedient, like those people in Central Asia we've been praying for. Tough times, having to trust God. And it, it's, as we'll be praying in a moment, two of them have withdrawn from the list. And now this is going to have to be applied for again if they can get two more names. Trusting God, taking the step, even though the river appears to be flooded. So what river have you got to step into? It's only as we do that we really know that the living God is among us, with us. He will forgive you. He will help you. He will be with you. So what happens then? Let's see what happens next. Obviously you can guess what happens, but we'll better read it anyway. Verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in flood all during harvest. Yes, as soon as, yet, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, so in they go, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completely, uh, completely completed the crossing on dry ground. And when the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight." And so Joshua, verse, uh, verse uh, 4, he does that, calls them together to do that very thing. And um, verse 6, why are they doing it? To serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a mem memorial uh, to the people of Israel forever. What happened? The Lord did exactly what he promised. As they stepped in, 
the river stopped and the people crossed on dry land. Let's read to the end of the story then from verse 10. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done uh, by the people. Just as Moses had directed Joshua, the people hurried over and as soon as all of them had crossed the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. And then verse 15. Then the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests carrying the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran in flood as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And it explains, verse 20, how Joshua set up at Gilgal these 12 stones. He says to the Israelites, uh, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, and so on, verse 23. uh, They're to tell the people what he did, and verse 24, they're to tell him why he did it. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. So they've now known. They're they're on the bank. It's all over. They've known that God would lead them. He has. They've known that God doesn't change. He hasn't. They've known the living God is among them. He's done an amazing thing. But there's just a bit more. God wants a bit more than that. God, it says, wants others to know. (laughs) That's what these stones are about. He's told them, take these 12 stones. They must have been probably the biggest stone a man could carry. Oh, I don't imagine they're little pebbles. I think, you know, they, these were tough guys. So these 12 stones have been carried out of the water and they've been put on the ready to be used as a memorial. And why are they there? Verse 6. For the other generations. God wants other generations to know. Verse 6, he says, I want your children to know. Verse 21, I want your descendants to know. That's, that's even more generations. See, God is saying to these people that as you know, as you know these truths about me, I want the next generation to know. I want this to, there to be legacy here. Something to get hold of. I think I'm only just admitting this. Now I'm getting a bit older. Legacy really matters. Legacy really matters. You know, I don't mean money. You can leave me money. What I leave behind or what goes on to the next generation. God wants the next generation to know him too. And I, I want to just encourage us as we, we think about Portswood moving forward to realize that is part of our DNA. That's part of what God wants. That's why we do all this stuff with children. That's why they come back here not just so we can feel, woo, you know, or laugh or whatever, uh, or, or laugh at me as, they, as I don't know what they're talking about or whoever's leading the service. But there is something much more deep and powerful about what we're committed to because God wants the next generation and the generation after to know that. Two, please let's not lose that. It's part of our life. And uh, as we move forward, do you want to be involved? You know, if you talk to Angela, can you give some time with that next generation? You don't have to be a parent to help out. You will have to pass a, a DBS, is it? Or DA, whatever it used, what used to be called the CRB, D. 
anyway, you know, the DBS, is it DBS? Is it DBS? Yeah, DBS uh, thing now, but, but that's okay, we can handle that. So if you know you won't pass it, don't apply, obviously. But, you know, how could you be involved? But more than that, just not, just not only every generation, that's why I read to the end, verse 24, he wants all the people of the earth to know. The Lord of all the earth wants the nations to know. That's also part of what we want to walk into as the Lord enables us. That's not just about sending people to other places. It's here. There's such tremendous opportunities here. The nations are here. Sure, we want to send people and support them and do all of that, but we also want to be engaged here. We want our church and what goes on in this church to be as international as the city is. Should be, shouldn't it? It's what God wants, isn't it? Let's pray and work towards that. Moving forward, that's the point of it. He wants the generations to know. He wants the nations to know. He wants us to know that he is among us, that he is the same Lord, that he is with us as he's been before. He's the one who goes before us, leading us, and we need to revere him to live in the light of his holiness. Now, I'm going to stop now, but uh, before I do, some of you may be thinking, I know a few people have guests here, and you may have come from other places, you may be thinking, well, you know, this is a word about Portsmouth Church going forward as a community. That's got nothing to do with me. How can that apply to me? Well, you can pray for us to start with, so thanks for that. I hope even if as you go, you just pray for us. But, yeah, there's a, there's a startling passage in the New Testament that brings together this idea of knowing and moving forward. Some of you may have guessed what I'm thinking about. It's in Philippians 3. And I just want to reference it if you're thinking, well, I'm not sure that, you know, I'm part of this, but think about these verses and apply what we've just thought of from Joshua into this. It's on page 1180. Here is the Apostle Paul saying this in verse 10 of chapter 3. I want to know Christ. What, what can I know? I want to know Christ. And I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings so that when I suffer, which I will, I know he's in there with me in that time, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's what we need to know as we press on. Press on into knowing Jesus better. Verse 12, he admits it. Here's probably one of the greatest... um, you know, Bible teach, well, the man wrote half the New Testament to start with, but verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained all this, so I've already been made perfect. No, he's not made it. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on, I move forward to take hold of the promises, all that Jesus has done for me, I want to press into. I've not got there, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal. And in verse 15, just in case you think, great, Paul, that's a great testimony. God bless you. I'll pray for you in that. What does verse 15 say? All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. This is for all of us to press on, to know God, to know Christ, and to know him better in the ways that we read of in Joshua. Apply that to your relationship with Jesus, if you're thinking, you know, I'm not part of this church, so how can this apply to me? Well, may the Lord just help us to, in, uh, as we go through where we've not been before, 
just to know what we can know about him and his help. And if there's a river that you need to step into and you're a bit concerned you'd like to share that with someone to pray over, then do come down after the service or even before if you like to pray with somebody and just to kind of, it's always good to kind of sit alongside another believer and just get it out there, out of your head, kind of into words and kind of before the Lord as well as another person. Margaret, thank you.